while Roy's getting that set up, I'll tell you, a little bit nervous at first, because like Isaac said, it's been 19 or 20 years since I've been here, and I was probably a little bit rowdy of a teenager at that point, but um, the, nervousness go, the nervousness goes away when uh, it comes to the weightiness of the subject of the gospel. We've heard a lot uh, this week about the thorn in Paul's flesh, but uh, bear with me because I'm going to talk about it a little more, but I want to bring it in with Psalm 34. So what we're going to talk about tonight is crying out to God, crying out to God. Now we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and the story of Paul asking for the thorn of the flesh to be removed that Paul's admitting he needs to be humbled by this thorn in the flesh. And uh, this is a thorn he might not have seen as a blessing at all. In fact, he, he asked for it to be gone. But by the end of tonight, I hope that we see the blessing of the thorn in this flesh for Paul. But at the same time, we see that David in Psalm 34, amongst many other psalms, has cried out to God. And we see God's deliverance for David. I will look at three things tonight. One is Paul's request before God. One is God's response to Paul. And the third is Paul's reaction to God's response. So first, let's look at Paul's request before God. In verse 7, he says, uh, Lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Now, there's been some disagreement amongst theologians as to what this thorn in the flesh was. Some say it was some spiritual, some say it was a physical thorn in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is silent on the subject of the nature of this thorn for a good reason. The only reason we need to know about this thorn is that it drove Paul to Christ. Whether it was a spiritual affliction, where it was a physical affliction, it doesn't matter. It drove Paul to Christ. It bore so hard down on him that he had nowhere else to go. There was nowhere else to seek relief from this thorn, so he is compelled to go to Christ. Now, I think it was a physical affliction based off of Galatians chapter 4, where he preached to that church through much infirmities and much weakness and much physical constraints, and yet they heard the gospel. So I like to think that it's physical, because I've had some physical problems myself, and so I kind of relate to it there. But whatever the need is tonight for you folks, whether it's a spiritual need, where it's a physical need, your only remedy is Christ. Your only solution is Christ. So in verse 8, Paul, in his distress, takes himself somewhere. He takes himself to the mercy seat of Jesus Christ. And like the Hezekiah of old, he lays the matter before the Lord. He lays it out to God and he says, God, I've got a problem. I've got a thorn in my flesh that I cannot fix. I can't do it myself. And that's what we want to do. We want to fix the problems ourselves because who knows better what we need than me? I know what I need more than you know what I need. I probably know what I need more than God knows what I need. He's up there. I'm down here in the, in the trenches living the hard life. I know what I need. But Paul and David both knew that their only solution, their only remedy was a comfort in Christ. The turmoils of this life, the troubles of this life, they're going to come. You will not be spared from trouble. 
They will come. But when the trials of life come, they should drive you to the throne of Christ, not from it. They should drive you to the mercy seat, not to yourself. They should drive you to God, not to the solutions of this world. And the solutions are out there. They advertise them. But the only true solution that we need to seek is Jesus Christ. Why? Why in these times of need, like Paul has, like David has, do we not just try to do it on our own? Because I tell you, those of you who are in the Lord, who He has encompassed about, who He loves, He hears you. He hears you. Do we understand the impact of that? That the God of heaven, the Creator God, the God who stopped the sun for three days, the God who flooded the earth, the God who gave up His own life in His own time and raised Himself up again and ascended into the heavens, hears you. He hears you. Why? Because He is a living God. He's not like the false deities of this world. The ones we have today, the ones that they concocted years ago in the Philistines, who David was seeking refuge with. Their gods couldn't hear David's cry. That falls on deaf ears, but you serve a living God. A God who hears your pleas. A God who understands your sorrow. A God who knows your troubles. This is the true God. And it's what drove, drove David earnestly to seek God. And it's what drove Paul desperately to the throne room of God. It's the same that David experienced in Psalm 63. He was fleeing Absalom at that time. He was in the wilderness for a long time, fleeing his own son who, is, who had usurped his authority. And David goes to the only source of comfort that he can find in that dry and weary and desolate land. He says, early will I seek you, Lord. I thirst for you. In the midst of David's troubles, he's not thirsting for his throne. He's not thirsting for his relationship with his son to be mended. He's thirsting for God and God alone and God's glory alone. So what was David seeking in God here? What was David seeking when he fled from Saul? And what is Paul seeking when he goes to God about this thorn in his flesh? They're seeking refuge through God in prayer. They are seeking a refuge. In their request to God, they're going to God for refuge. Paul prayed with persistence here. He prayed with persistence. We're told he prayed three times. Now, do I think that Paul would have stopped after three times? Not at all. If God had not answered Paul, Paul would have gone again and again and again and again and again as many times as he needed to till he heard from his God. Now God was merciful in that he answered Paul after three times. But brothers and sisters, he may not answer you for years. Do not stop seeking God. Do not stop crying out to God. Do not stop pleading with the master of the universe. It doesn't stop at three. You keep going and you keep going and you keep going until you have an answer from God. 
And if he never answers you, you keep on seeking. Just quickly think of Joseph for 13 years. He didn't know what his life would hold, but he kept turning back to God. Use that example. Keep going back to God. Don't stop going. Keep crying out to God. Psalm 34, 15 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are where? They are on the righteous. His ears are what? They are open to your cry. He hears you. The people out here today, He hears you when you cry to Him. 1 Peter 3.12 tells us the same thing. His ears are open to your prayers. The God of the Philistines could not have an ear open to David's prayer because it was a God of stone and rock. But you serve a living God. And His ears are open to you. And His eyes see you. You may cry alone in your room. You may think that no one knows your trouble but you. But I tell you now that God knows your care. God knows your sorrow. God knows your angst and your pain. And God hears you. Now one thing that Paul and David both did is they went to God to commune with Him. They didn't go to God to complain. How often have I gone to God to complain? I understand, folks. Life gets hard. When my back first went out, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years ago, I was angry. I was mad. I was in my prime. I was like 31. I had a bunch of kids and I couldn't even pick them up and I got mad at God. And I went to Him and I complained. You've got no right to do this to me, God. You've got no right. Why me? But I'm going to tell you, after years of suffering, I learned one thing. God uses your trials to draw you to Him. Because He knows what you need. I don't know what I need. You don't know what you need, but God does. So we don't go to God to complain. David and Paul both went to God to fellowship with their Savior. Now, did they ask God for things? Yes, David asked for salvation. He's like, rescue me, I need it. Paul went to God, Lord, take this thorn from my flesh. But their focus was to commune with their Savior. That's why Paul, uh, David said in, in Psalm 63, Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Now today we're hot. And we've been down in some water. Now you imagine David in that wilderness. And all he can think about is his thirst for God at that moment. Not to seek his own physical comforts that he needed. He thirsted for God. He longed to commune with God. But you know what prayer really is for us sometimes? Prayer is the emptying out of our innermost thoughts, our innermost fears, our deepest, darkest worries and secrets. High school class, did you hear Brother Timothy today when he talked about who do you go to to tell that one thing? Who is that closest friend? That needs to be God in our prayer. Prayer is where we make ourselves vulnerable 
before God. Where we completely just open ourselves up before Him. Do you have struggles? Do you have fears? Do you have sins? You don't need to tell everybody here at camp. But you need to tell God. You need to open up before Him and say, God, I'm scared. God, I'm struggling. God, I've got a sin that I don't want to tell anybody. But God, I know I need to tell you. You open yourself up to Him and say, God, I need you. I need you to feed me. I need you to sustain me. I need you to pick me up. I need you to lift me up. I need you to dust me off. And I need you to help me walk on this rocky road. Because God, I can't do it. David couldn't deliver himself. He was so desperate, he went to the Philistines. Paul couldn't take this thorn from his flesh. And he was so desperate, he cried out to God thrice. God, heal me. God, heal me. They were seeking refuge in their prayer. And they were opening themselves up to God. There's something that Paul does that's very specific here that I want to point out. He prayed specifically for something. He prayed for this thing. Now some people, I don't know this quote so I can't give credit to it. Some people pray for everything in general and therefore get nothing in particular. Paul went specifically to God to ask Him for something. He went specifically to say, God, I've got a pain and I need it gone. Can you help me? Then he went back to God and said, God, I've got a pain. Can you help me? He went again to God and said, God, I've got a pain. Can you help me? Well, this was the Apostle Paul, though. Surely God cares about him, but not about me. Does he really worry about you? Yes. God hears But my problems are small. Paul was trying to spread the gospel throughout the world. That's a bigger deal than what I've got. No, it's not. The same God that Paul cried out to is who you are to cry out to. And it's the same ears that heard Paul. And it's the same ears that heard David. It's the same ears that hear you at Camp Moriah 2022. Those same ears hear you. Is my problem too small? Charles Spurgeon says anything is a blessing that causes us to pray. No, your problem is not too small. God wants you to come to Him. He wants you to commune with Him. And He wants you to plead with Him. So pray specifically when you know what your problem is. If you have a problem with lust, if you have a problem with pornography, you go to God. If you have a problem with gossip, If you're a glutton, if you're a liar, you go to God. But, what if you don't know what you need? What if you're a teenage girl here who's depressed, but you don't know why? What if you're a 50-year-old man in the crowd who's suicidal and you don't know why? Well, I don't know what to ask Him. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You look in Luke 18, and there was a righteous man who went before God and he prayed very specifically, but it was pretty much a prayer to himself. God, I have done this good. 
I've done this good and I've done this right. Thank you that I'm not like this man. But there was a man there that day who didn't know what he needed, but he knew one thing. He wasn't worthy and he bowed his head and he got on his knees and he beat his chest. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You don't have to know what your need is. You don't have to know what your exact struggle is. You just have to know that you have a need that He can fulfill. And you go to that throne room of mercy. And you say, God, I need You. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to solve my own problems. I don't even know what I need for You to do to fix it for me. But God, I know that I need You. And I need You right now. You go to God and you simply, the whole point of this is simply call out. Call out to God whether you know what you need or whether you don't know what you need. You call out to God and you pray to Him. Just as David realized his inefficiency to fix his own situation. I mean, he was desperate. He went to the Philistines. Paul couldn't fix his own situation either. He was desperate. He was hurting. So they went to the only source of sufficiency to calm their fears and to fix their pain. They went to God. And now God responds. God responds to Paul's prayer and He says, Paul, you've been faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I lift your pain. No, God comes to Paul and He says, no. No, Paul, I won't remove your thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul wasn't guessing that God wasn't answering. God answered Paul. He told him, no, Paul, I'm not removing this. What? This is Paul. I mean, hadn't he suffered enough? And Paul's not a wimp, guys. He's not saying, my leg hurts. God, can you fix it? Paul got stoned to the point that they thought he was dead. And you know what he did? He got up and the next day he went preaching. Titus would ask for a week off. But not Paul. He went on preaching. He had been beaten. He had been whipped. He had been shipwrecked. This is how desperate Paul was. God, I need you here. And God says, no, Paul, I will not remove this thorn in your flesh. But James 15 says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, does it not? I tell you that the fervent prayer of this righteous man did avail much, but it was not What Paul expected. It was much more. Much more than Paul could have ever anticipated. For God to take his physical pain away from him. Much more. But doesn't Psalm 34.4 of this week say that when we seek the Lord, He hears us. And He delivers us from our fears. David was rescued from his danger. And he recalled God's deliverance at the end of the chapter and he praised God. But the Apostle Paul wouldn't be delivered from this thorn. This is when we realize right here that God is not a vending machine of prayer. God is not a vending machine of prayer. I'm going to use an example and I'm going to go ahead and preface it with an apology to all of you mothers. And you'll understand why in a minute. If you tell me that we have to eat oatmeal... The rest of this week, Titus Cannon is going to be really, really upset. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, and I'm like, God, I need something else. And I'm going to go to that vending machine. I'm going to go find one. 
and I'm going to find the best thing I can think of because oatmeal is the worst thing I can think of. There's my apology. I hate it. I can't eat oatmeal. And I'm going to go look in that vending machine and I'm going to see a package of dark chocolate mint M&M's. Oh, yeah. Titus has got this. I'm going to put my dollar bill of faith in that vending machine and I'm going to punch E7 and out's going to pop a bowl of cold oatmeal. That's even worse than just oatmeal. It's cold. That's what, that's what happens to Paul. He says, God, I need this. And God gives him cold oatmeal. God is not a vending machine of prayer when we take our crisp dollar bill of faith and I plug it into that machine and say, God, I know the answer I need. Don't worry about it. I'm going to punch E7 and you're going to give me this. God may give you A5, which is a cold bowl of oatmeal, in case you didn't know. Our prayers, when they go up to God, are not to tell God what to do. They are petitioned to the mighty God of heaven that I need you, Lord. No matter what your answer is, I want your answer, God. And that's what Paul did. He kept going back. And he kept going back until that mighty God of heaven gave him an answer. Even though it's not the answer that he was seeking. We all, of course, we think we know what we need, right? I think I know what's best for me. We may be praying for God to take us out of that trial. When what we really need is for God to walk with us through the trial. I don't want a trial. I'll say it right now. I'm tired of trials. Nobody likes a trial. But you may just need that trial to strengthen your faith. You may need that trial to take the dross away. To purge you of sin. I don't want the trial. But God may need you to be in that trial. But what's important is that God is with you in your trial. And that's what Paul sees here. That God is with him in his trial. God is with him in his trial. In verse 9, we hear God's sufficiency for Paul's trial. He says, my grace is. My grace. Not the remedy of the world. Not the solutions of the world. Mine. God's. My grace, Paul. My divine influence on you. My mercy towards you. That's what you need. And then he says this. My grace is. That means right now. Right now. It's the opening of Paul's eyes to see that he already has all that he needs to deal with his thorn in the flesh. The reply is not, Paul, I will give you grace later. Paul, my grace is right now in your time of need, sufficient for you. What's, what is God saying to Paul? Paul, I'm already carrying you. Right now in your trial, I got him with you. There's many hearts out here tonight that are troubled. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of fear. There's suicidal thoughts. There's anger. We're scared. We don't know what the future holds. God says my grace is right now sufficient for you. For your need. Whatever it is. Right now it's good. Right now it's with you. And right now I am carrying you. 
And he's telling you whatever you have right now is all that you need. My grace is all that you need to ride out this storm, Paul. My grace is all that you need to carry you through the trials that you will face, Paul. What did, what did God tell Paul at the very beginning of his ministry? You're going to suffer greatly for me, Paul. But I will not abandon you in your suffering, Paul. I am with you in your suffering. Because it always has been the strength of God in our trials. It's the same grace that sustains Paul. That literally knocked him down and made him blind and opened his eyes. It's that exact same grace that's carrying him through right now. Romans 5 chapter 6 says, While we were still helpless, weak, without strength, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. I tell you, He didn't come to save you because you were worth it. He came to save you because you were utterly worthless and helpless and needy. And that same grace that opened your eyes is the same grace that will carry you through the storm. The same power that took your heart of stone and made it a heart of flesh is the same power that will walk with you every step of the way. The same grace that awakened Paul and the same grace that awakened me and the same grace that awakened you is the same grace that is sufficient for your needs right now. The more we try to go in our own strength, the more we realize how weak we really are. How much I need Jesus. But when we acknowledge that we are weak, then we are truly strong. Then we are made strong in Jesus Christ. So what is Paul's response? He says in verse 9, I will glory in my infirmities. But Paul, you were so desperate to go to God three times to ask Him for relief. But now you're going to glory in it? Paul had prayed for its removal. But as soon as he learned that its continued presence in his life was a condition of more grace, then gladly he would bear it. Gladly he would take that thorn because it meant that God's grace was even more with him. And just carrying him, Paul didn't have to walk on his own at all. God had them. God's got this, Paul. Don't worry. God's got you. Don't worry. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Psalm 34, verse 8. Paul is tasting the goodness of God and God leaving him in his infirmities. And it tastes so sweet to Paul. Good? Even in my pain and suffering, God? Yes, Paul. Even when the trial is going on. Do you know why? Because God is a good, good God. What if my trial never ends? God is still a good, good God. And He will still carry you every step of the way. He is a good God. And Paul can taste it here. As David could taste it. That God is good. And His mercy is good. Paul says, gladly... Gladly will I bear this, not begrudgingly. Okay, Lord, very well, I'll trudge on. Gladly with much pleasure, Lord, will I take this infirmity. He's taking this thorn in the flesh and he's rejoicing in it now. That doesn't mean he loves the thorn. That doesn't mean you need to love the trial. The trial hurts. The thorn still hurts. 
Even though his prayer is not answered in the way that he requested it, he's receiving something far, far more valuable. The grace to bear the weight of the burden. And that is something he could never do on his own. And that's something, brothers and sisters, you cannot do on your own tonight. You cannot bear your own burden. You cannot bear your own heartache. You cannot carry your own weight of sin. You've got to be like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress. And you've got to take that burden. And you've got to lay it at the feet of Jesus at the cross. And let Him carry it for you. You have to lay it at His feet. And this, high school students, listen up. This is living the good life that Timothy told you about today. This is living that good life. Living in the fear of the Lord. And so, as Psalm 34, 11 says, The awe and the glory of what God can do in my trials. And He will bless me for it and He will give me more grace to bear it. That's living the good life, Paul. And then in verse 10, it says that this grace enables him even to rejoice in this thorn. Now instead of wanting it to, go, to be gone, he rejoices that he's permitted to suffer with it. His infirmities, his feebleness, his reproaches, his sufferings he knows that are still coming for Christ's sake. So in closing, what is the result of Paul's petition? His request to God, God's response Paul's reaction. What's the result here? Look in verse 9. Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you know what that word rest means? It's the word for tabernacle. That God may tabernacle over me because of my infirmities. That God will encompass about me. That God's presence is with me. And it is resting on me in my infirmities. Gladly will I suffer so that God is with me. That God is resting upon me. And that God is tabernacling over me. Most gladly will I glory in these infirmities. Let me close with this. There's two lessons. The first lesson here is for those of us who stand under the shadow of the Almighty, who know His presence in your life, that you know that His grace is all you need. That His grace will supply all of your needs. That this same loving God who opened your eyes is the same loving God who is carrying your burden right now today and I tell you he is sufficient for the task so cry out to him cry out to your God and say Lord I am weak be thou my strength Lord I am weak be my strength and the second lesson is for those of you who do not stand under the grace of the almighty God who do not think that you need His saving power over your life, who think you can go it alone in this world, acting as if you have no need of salvation. Whether you know it or not, you, you are a broken reed. And the only way of your ever being bound up and made safe is that you see Jesus. 
that you see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. Not your deeds, not your own abilities, not your own skills and what you have done, not your strength of what you can do. You are desperate. You are needy. And you are a sinner. And you need a Savior. You are completely impoverished. You have nothing you can bring to this cross of Jesus Christ. You're empty. But He says, Come. I am full of righteousness. I am full of riches. I am full of glory. And I can feel your needs. I tell you tonight, cry out to God. And say, God, be my strength. Because I am weak. I am weak. Let's pray. God, we do not understand your answers sometimes. We cry out. We don't receive the answers we expect. We're confused. We worry. We wonder. But God, I know that You are sufficient. God, I know that Your grace is right now all that we need. So Lord, for those that are out there who are hurting, those who are out there who are questioning, those who are wondering, those who are searching for an identity, Lord, may they see it in Jesus Christ. And may You be their strength. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.